a bombshell interview released in Germany this past weekend that should have turned a lot of heads was released. And the official biographer for Pope Benedict XVI, Peter Sewald, gave an interview where he basically declared Francis to be a destroyer and even used words like heresy and vandalism and a few other choice words to describe Francis's alleged papacy. And in that, Mr. Sewald paints a picture of Francis as essentially a renegade and a destroyer. At the same time, and completely independent of that interview, Rorate Celi published a piece that really makes it obvious that through reporting basic historic facts that Francis also had nothing but animosity towards John Paul II and his papacy. We already know that Francis's papacy has been focused on tearing down the Catholic Church and building something they're now calling the Synodal Church, whatever that is. But these two pieces illustrate something more basic, that Francis is a destroyer, and that he has completely undone the papacies of Benedict XVI and John Paul II. It's as if 35 years that Benedict and John Paul II reigned over the church never even happened. Everything they've accomplished has been erased with the stroke of a pen of Francis. Let's start with Mr. Sewald, who was the in, who was interviewed for Cath.net, a German language outlet that I often describe here as being like a more moderate German version of LifeSite News. Here, Mr. Sewald is asked by his interviewer about Francis's words at Benedict's funeral, describing Benedict as a great pope. In hindsight, it's obvious that these words were just lip service, but at the time, they seemed to show respect. Quote, That moved me a lot, and it's also apt. No knowledgeable observer would not recognize Ratzinger as one of the most important teachers on the throne of Peter. Today, however, one has to ask oneself whether Bergoglio's confessions were just lip service, or even smoke screens. We all remember Ratzinger's warm words at the Requiem for John Paul II, words that touched the heart, that spoke of Christian love, of respect. But no one remembers Bergoglio's words in the Requiem for Benedict XVI. They were as cold as the whole ceremony, which couldn't have been short enough not to do an inch too much honor to the predecessor. Quite simply, if you are serious, you try to cultivate and use the legacy of a great pope and not to damage it. Benedict XVI did it. In dealing with the legacy of John Paul II, he underlined the importance of continuity and the great traditions of the Catholic Church, without at the same time closing himself off to innovations. Francis, on the other hand, wants to break out of continuity, and thus from the teaching tradition of the church. End quote. That is a huge accusation, folks. That's enormous. And it confirms something that most of us who have been trying to make the point that Francis is, at the very least, the most radical person to claim to be Pope in potentially the entire history of the church, certainly in the modern history, and that point is this. Francis has himself said that Benedict XVI's hermeneutic of continuity was dead. He said that he and his henchmen, trying to, re to build their synodal church, have said that the only interpretive tool for the church that is appropriate for its theology is essentially Francis's. He and Roach and a few others all said this after issuing Traditionis Custodis. They said that the old the Latin Mass was not compatible with the theology of the church anymore. And that's why suddenly there is no talk about an extraordinary form of the Mass and an ordinary form. There is only the sole and unique expression of the Roman Rite. It's also why Francis pretty much only cites himself in his writings. Not only is there no continuity with the pre-Vatican II Church for Francis, there's barely any continuity with the Magisterium of Francis as 
These guys unbelievably call it, because that's a first also in church history. But there's no continuity between that and his immediate predecessors. So back to Mr. Seewald here. Quote, From the very first day of his pontificate, Pope Francis tried to distance himself from his predecessor. It was no secret that the two not only had opposite temperaments, but also opposite ideas about the future of the church. Bergoglio knew that he could not hold a candle to Ratzinger in his theological brilliance and nobility. He concentrated on effects and was supported by the media, which did not want to look so closely as not to have to see that behind the Pope, who was portrayed as open-minded and progressive, was a sometimes very authoritarian regent, when Bergoglio was already known in Argentina. Certain journalists turned the staging of a reformer Pope into a real business model for their books. The fighter in the Vatican who defends himself against the wolves, in particular, against the shadow Pope, Benedict, and his reactionary clique. In truth, there was never a shadow Pope. As Pope Emeritus, Benedict had avoided anything that might give the slightest impression that he would rule into the pontificate of his successor. And if you want to look around for the wolves, you can see that they all fell by the wayside. End quote. Those quote-unquote wolves that he himself put in scare quotes there were Archbishop Vigano or Cardinals Burke, Pell, and Seurat. All gone, dismissed from Rome, or in the case of Cardinal Pell, passing away under rather odd circumstances and suspicious ones at that, given the timing of that when paired with his overall attempts to prepare the cardinals to elect the pope that isn't a monster after Francis is gone. Even cardinals who fail spectacularly at their jobs, who show that they can't govern and are otherwise useless in day-to-day affairs of the Roman Curia, are allowed to hang on and maintain some shred of popability. Men like Cardinal Togley, whose absolute unfitness to manage anything including a corner market has been shown in his gross incompetence in running any office he has attempted to in Rome. Francis keeps him around. He's still spoken of as a likely successor to Francis. Francis doesn't even humiliate him in the way that he did, say, Archbishop Gonsvine. And why? Because Togley is loyal to him personally. Loyalty is what Francis prizes. Not unity in the faith, as he likes to say, but loyalty to himself. A unity based on loyalty to him and to his so-called magisterium. The case that Francis is a destroyer can be demonstrated with his overt animosity towards John Paul II. While, of course, saying kind things about JP II and talking about the great example he was, the truth of his thoughts on John Paul II are demonstrated in what he has done to the legacy of that pontiff. To put it mildly, Francis has undone the papacy of John Paul II in every meaningful way. The church may as well now be stuck in the chaotic years of the 1970s, which saw the traditional mass offered only in secret by underground or retired priests on farms, at stores and strip malls, in restaurants early on a Sunday morning, or in homes. Key institutions meant to preserve the moral teachings of the church in the face of a revolution of fresh fleshly desire happening in our culture have been systematically destroyed and repurposed for the programs of the secular enemies of the church. It's also tiresome and also predictable. We turn now to Rorite Celi for the specifics of this. Quote, Francis has systematically destroyed institutions created by John Paul II to serve as bulwarks of Catholic moral teachings and evangelization in, secular, in the secular world. In an exercise of raw intellectual vandalism, Francis ransacked the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family, removing its most distinguished faculty, canceling its core courses in moral theology, and replacing orthodox faculty with heterodox dissenters. The moves have devastated the John Paul II Institute, destroying it 
in all but name and ensuring that it no longer represents John Paul II's founding intentions. Francis also destroyed the Pontifical Academy for Life. John Paul II similarly created the PAL, the Pontifical Academy for Life, to promote and defend distinctively Catholic moral theology. Francis has turned it into little more than a joke, dismissing all of its members and replacing them with dissenters from the Church's moral theology. The PAL has now become notorious for its Twitter account, which posts trollish challenges to Church teaching. End quote. The Pontifical Academy for Life had been the main teaching body for the faith in the Roman Curia, on the topic of that culture of darkness that John Paul II spoke so frequently about, embodied in the rise and spread of the Moloch ritual and the various overreaches by the scientific community when they used literal destroyed lives and bodies to further their own profit-driven research. This Pontifical Academy was rather conveniently destroyed and rebuilt in the image of Francis before the events of, that of 2020 transpired. That academy was then put at the service of our secular rulers, who used the Pontifical Academy and the Church, led by Francis as the man the world thinks is Pope, to push their demonic solution to the crisis that faced civilization in 2020, a crisis that, quite frankly, turned out to be far overblown and probably set off by design for some nefarious purposes that people speculate about. And you'd think that would be the most wicked thing Francis has done to John Paul II's legacy. And perhaps it has been, but Rorate Celli goes into one more item that we've talked about in recent weeks. And, well, that's World Youth Day. Quote, One of John Paul II's most enduring achievements was World Youth Day, designed to evangelize young people to the Catholic faith. Under Francis's leadership, World Youth Day has become a vapid ecumenical event that seeks to promote interreligious dialogue and disclaims attempts at conversion. As its organizer, the newly created Cardinal Aguiar, stated, We don't want to convert young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church, or anything like that. Instead, the event's main message was, I think differently. I feel differently. I organize my life differently. But we are brothers, and we are going to build the future together. Ugh. John Paul II also promoted liturgical reconciliation. With his 1988 encyclical Ecclesia Dei, he reintroduced the traditional Latin Mass into the life of the Church, and he established the Ecclesia Dei Commission, which oversaw several highly successful religious orders, the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, among them. But in 2019, Francis suppressed the Ecclesia Dei Commission. At the time, the Vatican claimed that the change was no more than, quote, a normalization of ecclesiastical status of traditionalist communities in the Pius X ambit, which many years ago were reconciled with the See of Peter, as well as those celebrating the extraordinary form. That turned out to be a lie. The suppression of the Ecclesia Dei Commission was a prelude to Francis's large-scale attack against the traditional Latin Mass, launched with his spiteful and vindictive 2021 motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis, and the ensuing persecution of priests and laypeople who love the TLM. And just now, Pope Francis has put forward his greatest act of vengeance against John Paul II. The appointment of Tuco Fernandez as dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith Prefect. Fernandez has criticized John Paul II's landmark encyclical Veritatis Splendor, which affirmed the existence of intrinsic evil and the Church's authoritative rejection of moral relativism. Fernandez, an author best known for his grotesque collection of, of 
fleshly poetry, <laughs> Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, as well as grotesquely mishandling Ted McCarrick cases as an archbishop, stands poised to overturn the church's established teachings, most especially those of John Paul II. End quote. Now I want to end this on the other one way Francis has tried to destroy John Paul II. Do you remember in 2020 when Francis finally issued a response to Archbishop Vigano's accusations made in his famous testimony of 2018? As you'll recall, in 2018, Vigano became a household name in the church because he outed Francis as having helped sweep Ted McCarrick evil deeds under the rug. Now, Francis didn't respond for like two years, and when he did, he placed the blame for McCarrick squarely at the feet of John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and Archbishop Vigano, conveniently. The document was more than merely cynical. It was practically fiction. It was based on some true things. I mean, it's certainly true that neither Benedict nor John Paul II responded as they probably should have to Ted McCarrick, and they likely knew more than they ever let on, but Francis attempted to rehabilitate McCarrick. And by rehabilitate him, I mean that he lifted the restrictions placed on McCarrick by Benedict and allowed him to roam freely, because McCarrick did really two things at least for the popes of the 1980s to today. He raised a whole lot of money for them from the U.S. I mean, a whole lot from the wealthy in the U.S. And he connected them to the American political establishment as a sort of backdoor means of communicating between them. Given McCarrick's tendencies and his evil desires and tastes that, by the way, should give us a great deal of pause about how those desires and tastes line up with the political figures he was known to be close to, and if they share those desires and tastes. But it was this act by itself that showed that Francis had more than animosity towards his predecessors. Honestly, if he didn't hate them, I'd be surprised. You don't destroy the work and accomplishments of their pontificates if you admire them. But that is exactly what Francis has done. From a purely managerial standpoint, Francis is a destroyer. He has annihilated the legacies and reputations of two pontiffs for no other reason but to continue the revolution in the church started in the Pact of the Catacombs something I may touch on, touch on again later this week. I'm curious what you think about this. Do you agree with Mr. Seewald and the author at Rorate Chaley and myself here that Francis is a destroyer? Or do you think these institutions really needed to be reformed and some more pontificum swept away and all the rest of it? Let me know in the comments, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.